The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The class. Um, I, I hear a lot of echo. Does this sound kind of loud? Yeah. I'm on the fir- uh, number one. Yeah, so how, how's that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's better. Um, we're just going to open up uh, to invite any uh, comments from you. We had some homework to read the suttas, and we had the two suttas. Uh, one is a Makiya Sutta. The other one ha- talked about the, the uh, Majjhima Nikaya, uh, Nikaya 31, where we had uh, three monks living together uh, like a milk and water, <laughs> different in bodies and uh, one in mind. And so we just wanted to invite anybody to share some comments, questions uh, based on uh, your own study and the practice uh, of last week's material. Um, and also, yeah, so one of our homework is uh, to uh, do a, a appreciation and a gratitude practice and appreciate things that support your practice. So anyone, anyone like to uh, just uh, share some reflections? Or... Yes, oh. there are some handouts. A handouts. Nancy. Nancy. I had a... Um, as part of my uh, gratitude practice, I had a, a fairly emotional week last week. An uh, old client of mine passed away, and I was struggling to get in uh, to the prison to see him before he passed. And um, I happened to have a meeting with my meditation uh, instructor um, who was... Uh, we didn't talk about really what the subject of the week was, but I was just asking for um, some guidance and help in dealing with my situation from last week. And she was very kind and very compassionate, and I felt much more calm trying to deal with the situation, and it ended up being sort of beautiful. So I was um, extremely grateful for her assistance and guidance. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Nancy. Um, the, one of the things that's jumped out or stuck out for me was the way that the, um, it's divided into the bodily acts, the verbal acts, and the mental acts, but then the, it's, it's emphasized that they're different in body, but they're one in mind, you know, so that there's the, yeah, whatever the. I don't understand the sort of eradication of the self, but that seems to be a sort of blending but staying separate. And the other thing I liked was the fact that they discussed all night, I mean, that idea of an endless coffee clutch, I just find very appealing. <laughs> it's okay to, like, talk about it with each other. Yeah. Anyone else? Go ahead. Yeah. 
You could just send it down. You could send the microphone down the row, and then whoever wants to uh, speak will speak. And if you don't want to speak, you can pass it along. And it's okay if you didn't read the suttas from before. Oh, I, I read the suttas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing jumped out at me, but um, I am very glad I can hear. A few months ago, I had something that made me think I might have Meniere's disease, which means I'd lose my hearing, and I never really seriously thought about what it'd be like to lose my hearing. But I don't. My hearing's great. And so every day when I can hear, I'm really glad. Well, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't read them. But I have been very, very grateful about the beautiful blossoms in the trees. They're so amazing. Um, and some of the the bulbs that are springing up and, you know, go to the store and always beautiful tulips, you know, to buy. Um and just makes me, no matter what is going on with the larger world, you know, that nature is just so nurturing. There's so much beauty, and I just so much appreciation to be, you know, to be had there. Um, I'd like to join the club of not having uh, read the homework. However, I will say that, um, and I arrived an hour late uh, for the first session, I will say that quite a bit of it resonated for me during the week. And I think the big takeaway um, probably seems obvious, but um, how being friendly with myself is the, is the root condition for this. And, and, and I, uh, I had reason to reflect on that. Um, that um, as I can be more comfortable with my own inner kindness, I can extend it more to another person because the, the quality of extending it was up last week. So um, I appreciated that, and uh, I aspire to do the homework. Aspire. <laughs> 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 Yeah, please. Did you do your homework today? I did the homework, but that's just, I can't not do homework. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Uh, I've tried to get over it, but uh, yeah, I just had this reflection on your comment, and I, excuse me, I don't know everybody's names, but um, we've, we've wondered a little bit about, we've talked to four of us about this um, repetition, this idea of doing um, sort of um, wholesome bodily, um, verbal, and mental actions toward, you know, toward spiritual friends, toward companions or associates on the path. And sometimes in the text, because this is a study and practice course, you know, sometimes in the text we've observed, uh, scholars have observed that um, there's, a, there's a habit of repeating things in sort of... Um, particular orders and following through on repetitions, and this may be an artifact of the way these texts were, were, were kept, were um, 
memorized and chanted. And so this this is kind of puzzling this idea. Well, what would it be to exercise? You know, to cultivate wholesome or skillful mental acts of loving kindness towards one's companions in the path. And yet, in this case, it seems like. Um, you know, there are many things we don't put into words or into actions that do sort of um, add a certain amount of turmoil into the mind. And uh, it's really interesting to just notice that happening and to, with with companions in the path, to really sort of watch where the mind goes in terms of whether we like what they dressed in or what, you know, their tone of voice or their, the sound of their voice. There's all sorts of things that come up that can be part of the practice and the four of us sat together a little bit yesterday, and as we kind of put our our, our um, zafus down, um, there was some discussion of how to order them in, in orientation to the Buddha and the flowers that were present. And uh, I thought to myself, what would it be? I thought of these words of the sutta. You know, what what would it be like to um, <clears throat> if I were to let these venerable ones uh, decide how to do this, and I were to sort of let my preferences, which weren't particularly strongly felt, but that's sometimes where it's easiest to practice. Um, you know, what's it like to just let go into this um, companionship and this companionable decision-making? Uh, so anyway, I think that's, uh, just kind of wanted to add to that, that that's what you drew attention to is a really important part of how we let some of the self go into those relationships, trusting people in the path with us and uh, watching those mental actions. Lovely, yeah. So uh, I, I will just pile on and a little reflection on that as well, because when I was uh, reading uh, the uh, uh, Makiya Sutta, it uh, stood out in me that you know this guy had a lot of uh, great conditions. He's next to the Buddha and, uh, and has a beautiful mango grove where he can go and uh, beautiful nature and. Um, but he wanted to practice alone, and he went there, and he couldn't quite do it. <laughs> he had all those unskillful thoughts coming up. And then Buddha said, well, you know, you need a good company. That's the first one, right, one of the conditions. And I've been reflecting, um, and that they brought uh, up a, another sutta where I remember this line that says, uh, one of the most important external conditions for practicing is a good friendship. And, and that's really interesting because, you know, you can have a nice environment and a beautiful setting, but it really helps us, moves our heart in certain ways, is, uh, is doing this together with uh, friends or allow our, our uh, good uh, companionship move our hearts in some way. And so I, yesterday, I felt that <laughs> when four of us got together. It was kind of, uh, let the goodness in um, the wise friends kind of move the heart uh, in the direction that it um, flows towards. And so it was uh, quite nice and uh, so I, I enjoyed reading the sutta and reflecting upon them. So uh, any other questions and comments about the homework and, and last week's material before we go on? 
And if not, um, today we will transition into a deeper dive on Kalyanamitta. <laughs> so we, we still haven't really kind of decoded <laughs> this term itself. And, um, and so today we'll do that. And I think uh, uh, some of you already mentioned some elements of this. And Nancy, you pointed out that when you are talking to uh, your meditation instructor and and um, a certain ways of supporting you helped uh, you kind of move, have the forces inside of you that kind of um, moved towards calm and ease. And so um, uh, we will expand on this today using a couple of suttas. Yes, Arthur? I want to go back to comment. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so first, I, I wasn't here last week. I was thought I, I expected to be, but I wound up sitting in a car dealership when I should have been here finishing a car sale. And they told me I'd be done. That's how it works there. Um, um, and I, I didn't know there was homework, so I didn't do it. Um, but this discussion and what people are saying... Um, bring up several very timely points for me that I've been experiencing all week and actually for several months. And um, um, that is that uh, my tendency is to uh, work alone, spend a lot of time alone. Um, I work in a, in a studio with f- making photographs and other things and I can go through days without talking to anybody. I do go through days without talking to anybody, three, four, six, seven days at a time. Um, And I don't mind it. Um, And I've been doing this for a long time. And recently, I realized that I'm way out of balance and what that means to me, which is why when I saw this um, this in the um, on the website, I immediately said, "This is perfect." I start. I've been thinking that I really need to spend time with other people, and just spending time with other people, I've also discovered, doesn't work so well because uh, depends who the people are. <laughs> and I don't say that with any kind of conceit or, or whatever it, it's just the way it is um, and so I, I, I'm very aware that uh, the, the need for working spending time with other people and, and, and practicing with other people and I'm very grateful that A, I, M, C exists at all and that B, we have this particular little nest right here to be at. Yeah. Mm, great. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, so I guess we'll dive in. <laughs> so, Diana, please. Yeah, so we've been, uh, Ying has been using this word Kalyanamita, and um, I think in some of the translations we've used as good spiritual friend or good friend. And the Megia Sutta, we saw uh, good friends, associates, companions. Like, so what does this mean? 
And as um, often the case in the suttas, we don't see exact definitions, or if we do, the definitions aren't completely satisfying, that they don't really add a lot, or not in the way that we're used to, like here in the West, maybe when you read a textbook, you're expecting to find answers and things to be clear and things like that. So instead of um, looking for exact definitions, we can look at the context. How is this word used? What is its function? So and get a sense of what it means in that way. Like, um, what, what are the consequences of it being used? And what is the context? And things like that. So we thought that we would spend a little time looking at that. And this, um, the idea of the series that the four of us are teaching our study and practice. So this is a little bit of the study part. Like how can we kind of like roll up our sleeves a little bit and dig into the suttas and get a feeling for what does this mean, this idea of good friendship, kalyanamita, good spiritual friendship. So towards that end, I'd like us to look at this handout that's uh, titled Good Friendship in the Megya Sutta and Dikajanu Sutta. So the Megya Sutta is number two down here. It's this excerpt. Um, this excerpt's a little bit different than what I excerpted last time, but it's the similar content. But we're going to start with something that's new that we haven't seen before. And that is the diga janu. Some of you uh, may recognize that word diga means long, and janu means knee. So, Mr. Long Knee. But interestingly, uh, Tanjaf uh, translates this as tiger paw, Mr. Tiger Paw. So, I don't, there must be something I'm missing here because I don't know about this. But, so, um, that's, I just thought I would throw that in there. What is this person's name, diga janu? Um, would somebody like to read the first two paragraphs from number one, the excerpt from the Dikajanu Sutta? <laughs> and yeah, does somebody can take the microphone for the for this for the uh, for the remainder? Okay. <coughs> At one time, the Buddha was staying in the land of the Kalyans. Then, Diga Digajanu, the Kalyan, went up to the Buddha, bowed, sat down to one side, and said to the Buddha, Sir, we are lay people who enjoy sensual pleasures and living at home with our children. We, we use sandalwood imported from Kasi. We wear garlands, perfumes, and makeup and we accept gold and money. May the Buddha please teach us the Dhamma in a way that leads to our welfare and happiness in this life and in future lives. Thank you, Arthur. So one thing I'll point out here, this uh, Digajanu, he goes up to the Buddha, bows, sits down to one side. This is standard. This is, we see this in the suttas over and over again. This is a way of showing respect and then um, Dikajanu describes, says, we are lay people. And just to make the point clear, he lists things that monastics are forbidden from doing. So this is to make it really clear that we are different. We enjoy sensual pleasures. We have sex. And we have children because we have sex. 
We use sandalwood imported from Kasi. This Kasi was a faraway town, and the sandalwood from there was supposed to be the best that money could buy. You know, so these are, you know, really uh, elaborate, ex- um, exotic things: garlands, perfumes, makeup. We accept golden money, just to highlight that really different than the monastics. And then maybe Hillary will say, uh, read for us. What does the Buddha say to this person? Jika Janu, these four things lead to the welfare and happiness of a person in this life. What for? Accomplishment in initiative, protection, good friendship, and balanced finances. Do you want to keep reading? Yes, please. And what is good friendship? It's when a person resides in a town or village, and in that place there are householders or their children who may be young or old, but are mature in conduct, accomplished in faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom. That person associates with them, converses, and engages in discussion, and they emulate the same kind of accomplishment in faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom. This is called good friendship. So in some way, it seems like good friendship is when you're hanging out with people that have a certain amount of faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom, and it rubs off on you. These are the the good friends to kind of describe some of these ways um, that maybe aren't the uh, in the contemporary West right now the first things when people talk about good friends, ethics, and wisdom, but that's how a good friendship is described at this time for a householder, for somebody who's not a monastic. And I'm looking at the time... Um, yes, so maybe we'll review a little bit what um, was in the Megya Sutta. So who maybe can read like just all of the Megya Sutta for number two? Megya, the Buddha's attendant, has difficulties in meditation and reports this to the Buddha. The Buddha then replies, Megya, When the heart's release is not ripe, five things help it ripen. What five? Firstly, a mendicant has good friends, companions, and associates. A mendicant with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to be ethical. A mendicant with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to take part in talk about self-effacement that helps open the heart. A mendicant with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to have energy for giving up unskillful qualities and embracing skillful qualities. A mendicant with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to be wise. They will have the wisdom which leads to the complete ending of suffering. So we see here kind of a description in the Megya Sutta of what happens. Like, how do you know if you have good friends? Or these are some of the things that will happen to you or some of the um, experiences that may arise with good friends. That is, to be ethical, to take part and talk about self-effacement that helps open the heart. I spoke a little bit about this last time 
um, talk about self-effacement is a little bit about um, about being humble and being. Um, it's not a. It's not a um, sense of self-righteousness. Me versus you. Us versus them. It's kind of more of an. It's the opposite of that. And um, it helps open the heart. I'm sorry. Yes, Stan. Oh, let's see here. Yes, of course there is, but... Um, yes. Does it? Does self-effacement have a... And you know, I don't have this in my, with me right here, but um, let's see if I can remember. Oh, yeah. Pika Bodhi does austerity. Talk about austerity. And um, I don't remember what Ton Jeff uh, does. In Majma 3? Oh, I don't remember. But, um, yeah, it's, I would say it's the, for me, it has the feeling of, uh, it's the opposite of I'm not worthy. It's like I'm worthy enough that I don't have to make myself look better than I am or something. It's like having a certain amount of self respect that allows some ease. Yeah, a certain amount of humility. I think it's humility is a good word. Yeah, sorry, I don't have it. I did last week, but I don't have it with me. Sorry. Yeah. And so the same, uh, the mendicant has energy to take part in giving up unskillful qualities and embracing skillful qualities and have wisdom, which leads to the end of suffering. So this is part of the consequences of having good spiritual friends. And we'll see that some of them overlap, some of these qualities overlap with how spiritual friend is discussed in the Digajanu Sutta, the first one we looked at. And maybe Kim now will have this kind of um, invite you to explore this. Yeah, so our um, our aim at this time is to let you guys have a chance to discuss among yourselves the comparison between these two suttas. And we have some specific questions for you to help guide that process. But um, you can see that, as, as Diana said, the first one describes kind of qualities of people, qualities in people that you would want to emulate, and then the second one describes the result of having friends with those qualities. If you know, and it's you know, you know, one was given to lay people and one was given to monastics. But we see some, maybe some commonalities, maybe some differences. So our our hope was that we could do groups of four. I haven't checked. Does that work? It does. Why don't you get in groups of four, and then we'll give you the questions. There will be one group of three <laughs> for now. So, if like you three could be a group, 
Okay, so the first question is, how are the descriptions of Kalyanamita different and the same in these two suttas? So, you know, I kind of summarized a few top-level things a moment ago, but kind of dig in a little bit and see you know, what, how does it feel to you, which ones seem related, which are not related. Are there differences um, that are significant? Uh, and I think this would be best if you just make sure that everybody has a chance to contribute. Uh, but just have it be a group discussion, and when the energy starts to change, I'll uh, give you the second question. So similarities and differences. Question? Okay, so the second question is, which of these elements is the most meaningful for you in your practice right now? So there's a bunch of elements offered. What does the word elements mean here? So, um, for example, there's faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom, the qualities that we would want to be emulating in our friends. And then there are also um, these sort of consequences uh, that co- that are described in the Magiya Sutta um, of results that come from being in good friendship. So in this case, I think it would be nice if if we went around and everybody had a chance to speak um, on on this particular topic so that you have a chance to reflect and the others will listen. So this isn't really a group discussion. Let's have each person take about a minute. Um, does anyone have a... Can someone in each group time one minute per person? Roughly? Okay. So go ahead with that. Thank you. Which of these elements is the most meaningful for you in your practice right now? All right, I can ring the bell. (laughs) And I'll ring it again in a minute. Okay. All right, great. So that sounded interesting. (laughs) And... um, It'd be nice if you're so inspired to share something in the larger group about anything that was interesting to you from the compare and contrast or uh, something about what's uh, resonated for you in your own practice. Either of those would be interesting. Um, Would somebody like to share anything or any questions that came up? So regarding the first question, um, I'm not prepared to do it because I'd have to look at it more carefully over more time. But it looks to me like um, the qualities that he's describing to the lay people uh, correspond to the qualities he's describing to uh, amongst the, 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 the monastics, but that what's different and why they seem different is that they're living in different conditions. So he's talking about um, things, things that are a little bit different, but he's um, comparing them in a way that you know, in one hand he's talking about maturity and another place he's talking about wisdom. Um, and in the worldly 
way, uh, uh, maturity kind of is we we I I think it's commonly refers to what the characteristic that we call wisdom. Um, so anyway, that's that's the first thing, and it, it's also clear that there's a lot more there than one can pull out in a very quick reading. Thank you. Those are both interesting. I. Th- I think, I'll just insert a little seed, we might be seeing that Kalyanamita is actually kind of a multi-dimensional quality that can be, or entity or something, that can be talked about in various ways. So, did anyone else have further comments? It's his name. It's a person, yeah. But I don't know what that name means. Yeah. So we kind of uh, realized that some of these, I mean, they really are similar in both, for both groups of people. So we have, we decided that faith and energy were kind of similar. You know, you need to have some energy to to have faith in something. Ethics were both there. Generosity also seemed like self-effacement. And the wisdom was in both. And so it's like the quality of a spiritual friend, whether you're living in a lay community or you're living in the monastic community, is really one and the same. And even though the the first one, it didn't say leading to the complete ending of suffering, that was the one thing that was really that was notably um, added to the second one. Um, but, but in terms of, yeah, the qualities of friendship, it felt like, oh, that's the same. Yeah. I would guess that the reason it doesn't say uh, leading to the complete ending of suffering is that this part of the Buddha's answer to Diga Janu in the first one is the, qual- the things that will lead to happiness in this lifetime. And usually when he's giving teachings on that, not that we can't, become awakened in this lifetime, but for lay people um, tend to be more about yeah, getting a good rebirth. But it looks like somebody may have objected to that. Did you want to no? Okay. Please. Yeah, in terms of noticing unskillful qualities, um uh, so uh, Kathleen, if, I hope you don't mind if you mention your name, and I both were um feeling that it's we're in a space where we are Noticing and in our personal practice, um, in our lives, working on that. And I would say, um, really noting um, habits that I have that I want to let go of and build new habits. So it would be sort of like embracing skillful qualities. And so I feel like I'm in a place where I'm really receptive to change and hearing from really close friends things that um, they find annoying that I do and in exchange these are really close friends um, we're both working on ourselves in that way but definitely that piece Uh, I am very fortunate Uh, I have friends that I meditate with uh, five days a week including one day here, usually Wednesdays I'm here. And 
these these are uh, people who mostly I've known for some time, and uh, we're practicing in various ways. And the point is to try and kind of help each other along the path. And two of these two of these days are prayer and meditation meetings that are not vipassana oriented at all. And there was an initial time a year ago or so, or maybe more, where I would get very irritated while sitting in the meetings because instead of talking about what was happening now, people were remembering 30 years ago when they were in the jungles and, you know, they were hippies and it was this and that. And... It was really interesting opportunity to examine my own preferences and to take a, a good, hard look at those preferences. And that allowed me to be more open <clears throat> to listening to the other people. And, and, then, and it's been really interesting because the character of these two, meeting, of these two meetings has completely changed and has kind of evolved into, you know, mindfulness of, of now and what they're doing, even though it, no one, or many of the people who are there are not saying they're in Vipassana or Buddhist or whatever. It's really lovely. And the other two meetings I have kind of control of, and, uh, and I keep getting wonderful kick in the pants from various people who are there who are kind of bringing me down to earth occasionally when I get on my high horse, you know, the, uh, the practice high horse that uh, sometimes appears. Anyway, it's so wonderful to be here. It's nice to be with everybody. And uh, I'll shut up now. Well, again, uh, you know, with a fast reading of this, um, it seems to me that the first the first one it is just I won't say casual, but it's not doesn't quite go as deeply into the personal path. And the second one seems to be much more like much more of the um, what I consider to be the work on one's one within oneself it just seems to be much more profound i've used the word profound not that the other is unimportant but this is much more okay now let's really get into becoming this and So there's um, more. There's a subtle quality that um, I don't com- have completely the flavor to in the second one because um, we don't have what Megia says completely. But in the first sutta, Digahanu um, says, "We are lay people who enjoy sensual pleasure." And he points out that they enjoy it. He doesn't want to do anything about that. That's not his intent. Um, he, he just wants to know how they can continue enjoying sensual pleasure but um, um, find happiness, etc., in, fu- in their future lives. Whereas 
in the Migaya Sutta, again, we, I don't have the whole thing, but um, uh, he points out that he's having difficulties in meditation and reports this to the Buddha. So he's actually asking to change. He's, he's finding a problem, and he's asking to change it. If this trans, if this summary is 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 accurate, and it gives two very different flavors to um, to these two suttas. Yeah. So it might be that the way we frame and ask our question generates a different response in the teacher, um, which is true. But you notice in the first one, just to point out. Um, He's, he does say that. He says, we enjoy sensual pleasures and we want to have a happy life. Of course, everybody wants to have a happy life. But the Buddha doesn't take this opportunity to give them a lecture and say sensual pleasures are evil and you really should let them go. He says, oh, well, it's okay. Um, here's, the, here's the people you should associate with. He has total trust that things will unfold. Um, and, yeah. If anybody if you want to comment, by the way... Um, Although I, I, it struck me that he does say uh, include generosity, so you know you have all these material pleasures, but don't be attached to them. One reading. Thank you. Okay, well, um, let's let's move on then. Let's see, David. Let me pass this on to you. Yeah, let me let me talk a little bit about sort of. And, and introduce maybe some little vignettes or examples that the four of us can provide a, a, around um, friendship that's been supportive for our, our practices. Uh, I would I have this reflection that comes a little bit from things Hillary offered and, and uh, Arthur brought up, which is just that we we didn't provide the full text here, and as by way of homework, but also sort of as teaser, we're trying to encourage people to go ahead and take a look at those full texts. They are interest by turns interesting. Um, surprising, startling. And it is, for example, a revelation for a lot of people, maybe revelation's too big a word, small r for sure, for a lot of people to find that there are texts that are oriented or or, um, conversations that are oriented toward lay practitioners, like most of us, Um, and that they have a different different flavor. There's no, as was just pointed out, there's no sense of, you know, some inherently evil or sinful aspect of, Engage, being a lay, lay practitioner, householder, engaged in sensual pleasures and the like. But it's also, you can see right here that, and we're, I think we're also trying to do this, a little, hopefully, I, I, I speak for myself, I guess, but perhaps it's shared, um, to just let these texts breathe a little bit. They weren't created in a systematic way. And the generosity is different from self-effacement. Um, and we, we have different feelings about those things, and yet, yeah, they're, they're aligned. But it's nice to let these texts come together, come together in practice, the practice study part of the practice. Somebody else, or maybe nobody has pointed it out here, but I think it came up in our conversation during the small groups, that um, in the Megia Sutta, there's this um, idea that a practitioner... Um, with good friends, companions, and associates can expect to have energy for giving up on skillful qualities and embracing skillful qualities is a way of um, capturing the um, the wise effort factor of the Eightfold Path. So these various teachings 
can be brought together on your practice in creative ways without any sense that they have to be systematized, organized, made sense of. They weren't, in, they weren't created that way, probably weren't intended that way, and there's a lot to be said for letting them breathe. So just a little transitional comment or parenthetical comment, really. So the, the basic idea that emerges that come through your comments uh, is this idea that Kalyanamita are companions or associates in the path that support our path of practice. And that may mean getting on the path, staying on the path, um, uh, opening up aspects of path that weren't, that were close to us or that weren't seen by us. There's a lot of different ways that that metaphor of path can be used to understand what, um, what spiritual friendship might look like. Um, but particularly that they uh, encourage both wholesome qualities of mind and skillful action that really uh, support our, our own progress uh, in our practices. It's important to note that as, as we read this, um, it, it doesn't, there's no exclusion here of ordinary friendships or other friendships. I don't know what I mean by ordinary, but uh, you know, friendships that don't have this sort of special um, aspect of supporting the path. You may have among your circle of acquaintance, your various concentric circles of friends or companions or associates in life, some who are supportive of your practice, but who aren't really, um, you know, or aren't really in the practice with you or aren't supportive in the way, um, sort of the active, involved way that a spiritual friend or companion of the sort that you run into at IMC on a regular basis or a one-off basis um, as as you develop your practice. And uh, without making hard and fast distinctions, without saying Kalyanamita is this, is not this, you can notice that these qualities that come out in these texts help give a sense of, oh yeah, this is what's special about these kinds of um, uh, um, relationships with other people who are in the practice. So we thought we might just give a little each of vignette of sort of where um, where this is um, come up in our practice and uh, I thought about this as I walked between my car and the door Diana was thinking about it during the small group breakouts um, but we particularly thought we might give a couple of vignettes that focus or that kind of use these categories of faith or confidence, ethics generosity and wisdom or related ones and the one that comes to mind for me I'll just start since I've got a mic on um, is related to something that came up earlier, which is sort of how maybe the 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 um, companionship we provide one another in the path can really be related to profound um, objectives or um, um, understandings of the path. I was thinking I might say something about the, f- the confidence that comes from practicing with others, and particularly um, letting them guide. Uh, I talked about setting up our Zafus yesterday, but it's a more profound thing to sort of um, get out of the way and sort of be in a, in a relationship of trust where somebody's comment about, um, you know, a remark made in a conversation, uh, they, it, can be, it can come in in a way that doesn't seem um, challenging or threatening because I know the place of practice it comes from. And I think each of my colleagues here has, from time to time, either if because I've asked or without, you know, just volunteered, hey, you know, uh, this, that, um, um, you know. And it's a, it has a very different feel than it might in a lot of other settings. 
And uh, that's because in part there's a trust, a confidence, a faith, if you will. But I want to just point to the fact that it's also a wisdom thing. I mean, part of what we do here in this group, this is a practice too of spiritual friendship, we all come together to support one another's practice, is we, we, in a sense, get out of the way in a much more profound way. It's a practice of letting go of our attachment to who we are, our preferences, all that stuff which takes up so much energy, adds so much extra to experience, is so much stress or suffering. And there's a way in which it can slip away a bit in these relationships and gives us a little taste of what it's like to um, slip into relationship with people that's not driven by self, driven by preferences, uh, in the same way that it would be in a different relationship. So that's maybe another way of sort of even defining what spiritual friendship, I don't want to say is, but one flavor or one expression it can take that points towards um, you know, the way it can be a part of the wisdom teachings of the, of the practice. Ying has a mic. Did the Nelsie, my little <laughs> story here. What came to my mind was um, uh, when I first began the meditation practice, I had known a, um, a friend who, um, on and off, we don't meet uh, that often, but uh, 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 there is some significance in meeting this person. I remember this uh, one scene very vividly uh, when uh, she was uh, teaching me, uh, meeting me up uh, in one of the meditation centers down in San Jose, Tathagata Meditation Center, to uh, teach me Vipassana meditation one day. Um, and we made an appointment and I went there. And we were standing in the uh, kind of the the courtyard uh, in the meditation center. Um, And then she was giving me uh, some instructions and telling me how to do this. And then all of a sudden, there was a bug falling off from a tree above um, on um, on her shirt. And she just very carefully kind of picked the little bug up and and kind of put it on the floor. And I still remember that scene because I've never seen this before. <laughs> and uh, someone would be so gentle because I was a little startled that I was about to kind of just rub it off. And she had this, such a, a gentleness and kindness to this little thing <laughs> that fell off all of a sudden. And uh, it was kind of a profound moment uh, for me and, and and I realized, uh, wow, there is some uh, capacity in this individual uh, that I didn't recognize before. And I was so kind and uh, um, uh, gentle. And I kind of just kind of for- forgot all about the meditation <laughs> instruction. I was in awe in this little movement. And so over time, I would say, I wouldn't define our relationship uh, in a kind of, a, um, you know, based on a normal friendship kind of a per se, because I don't really see this person very often. Um, but I found uh, so much inspiration uh, meeting with her and uh, getting to know her a little bit over the years. And there was a lot of uh, this kind of like shining the light um, for me and and seeing the qualities of what is possible uh, through the practice. 
Um, and so even if, you know, I, 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 I don't use a regular definition of a friend, I would really consider her uh, being a, a tremendous spiritual friend for me. Um, you know, I remember this to this day, that maybe 20 years ago, this little moment that kind of felt like somewhat of a life changing <laughs> for me. So I just want to share that little story. Yeah. I, I have lots of stories. So we'll just settle in and I'll talk for a few hours. No. No, I'll just uh, say one. This is uh, when I very first started coming to IMC. I used to come on Wednesdays, either Wednesdays at the half day. I just loved it. It was great. Um, I didn't really know hardly anybody, but um, I just liked the opportunity. And I don't remember the circumstances, but um, they needed somebody to be the manager the next week. And they asked, oh, Diana, you've been coming for a while. Do you want to go? And I was like, <gasps> kind of like, you know, horrified. Really? I, for me to be the manager, the one that's going like, to make announcements and do all this kind of stuff? But um, I did. I did it. And just this, you know, somebody asking me, like, here's an opportunity to be generous and to support your fellow practitioners. And um, it was actually quite meaningful for me that I had some initial fear, but I did it. And I ended up becoming the manager for uh, Wednesday mornings and just being asked to be generous. And it was quite impactful for me. Well, I have an example. Um, I remember when, uh, I think it was on a retreat, a teacher was giving a Dharma talk, but one of the examples that she gave was that she said that sometimes when she goes to the airport, she brings her own food so that she doesn't have to buy the airport food, and she has her food and her fork, but then she wants a napkin, and so she goes to the food court, and she goes to one of those sort of public stations that has a bunch of stuff, and she wants to get napkins there. And she says that um, whenever she finds herself short on something and wanting to use the public thing without buying something, she'll just lean over to the vendor that's nearby and say, oh, excuse me, is it okay for me to take one of these napkins? And, you know, it's kind of an ethical consideration. Is this really given? Can I take it? But what what happens is she says, inevitably, the person will smile and say, oh, please, take one. And so she turns a sort of a moment of, is this okay? Yeah, I guess it's okay. You could just decide in your head and take it. She turns it into a moment of generosity from the other person and connection with her. And it just, I mean, at that moment it sort of inspired me to, to start thinking differently about how I move through the world. You know, can I find, without forcing anything, little moments where it can be a positive mind state generated, a little connection made, a little wholesome moment, uh, again, without being kind of, you know, overly precious about it. But there's so many opportunities for these throughout the day. And it kind of shifted the way I saw just my mundane activities um, be, to, to start bringing in qualities like generosity and ethics and faith. Um, 
Reminds me of a quote from another teacher. This moment is as holy as you want it to be. I don't know if you like the word holy or not, but this moment is as spiritual, as infused with your practice as you want it to be. This moment, this exact mundane moment. So, thank you. going to move into a, um, a short meditation. And in this meditation, we're going to do a little bit of a chanting. And so today we're going to do a, a loving-kindness meditation. I think this may be familiar to many of you. Um, and then um, the Pali term, uh, so we have this one handout, if any of uh, I think you, you all have it now probably. And this, this is the second sheet that uh, we have, uh, yeah. And so the Pali term is metta. Uh, and so oftentimes you hear uh, people uh, talking about the metta meditation. And the chant we'll be using today uh, is, and there's uh, uh, four words, Pali words, sabe, sata, suki, honto. And um, I kind of um, put down a little bit of explanation of the, the meaning of these terms. Uh, the literal meaning of a sabe is all, everyone. Um, uh, sata, beings, living beings. Suki is happiness or well-being. Uh, Hongtu, may they be. You know, I kind of put my own words in <laughs> some poish. <laughs> Um, and then you probably, uh, some of you might know that there are some variations of this uh, where you can put different words um, uh, to uh, become a good whale uh, in uh, different forms. And so I, I put down some examples of this uh, on this sheet. But today, we will be just chanting on the first line, Sabe Sata Suki Hontu. Um, so, maybe allow yourself to take a um, meditation posture, and uh, we'll just uh, do a little bit, a little bit of a chanting before we do the uh, guided meditation. So allow yourself to feel comfortable. Maybe settle into a posture that expresses openness, a well-being. And we'll begin this chanting by simply saying this four words. And I'll begin this, and you can just follow me or join me, or join me along. Sabe, Sata, Suki, Hontu. 
สาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูสาเปสาทาสุขีฮอนทูโซ่ allow the the words to sink in to your body maybe even in the silence may all beings be happy Resting your mind in that simple wish. Wishing ourselves be happy. Maybe you feel that sense of a happiness in the body. Relaxed at ease. Peaceful. You're wishing this body and that this mind be well. Allow the sense of well-being be felt, almost like at the cellular level. All the cells in the body be happy. May all the cells in the body be happy. Maybe you feel the warmth in the heart. <coughs> Maybe the boundaries of the body 
dissolve or fade away. Allow this simple wish to expand. And to include all beings, everyone here. May all beings be well. Allow your awareness to be expansive. We can receive the goodness from everyone else in this room, the goodwill, the well wishes from everyone else. as we drop the boundaries of self and others. We allow all of us to soak in the goodness of everyone's heart.
There is a multi-dimensional qualities in the field of awareness filling this room. The quality of faith, trust in the practice. The quality of a kindness quality of ethics, virtuous heart, and quality of effort. And sustained attention. Quality of a wisdom, generosity. A lot of qualities to open our own heart. Right now, right here, we are different in bodies, but one in mind. The mind of a metta.
Breathing in, receiving the goodness offered by everyone else. By the Kalyanamitas. And as you breathe out, offering the goodwill, well wishes to all beings. Sometimes we can use the Pali chant as a way to anchor our attention again. Sabe sata suki honto. Can just remind ourselves. to rest our attention. And this is simple wish. 
the sutta we talked about last week how did the monks, the three monks wishing each other metta in public and in private and we too are practicing just like that blending like a milk and water Allow yourself to be nourished by this. The heart feels open. boundaries of the self and others is almost invisible. May this beautiful force touch and nourish all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy.
So we'll open up for any questions. Um, up to this point, we haven't given uh, a lot of time to you <laughs> for asking any questions. Okay, be, yes, please. Um, and, and Um, I just wanted to say, getting back to gratitude, <laughs> that there's something um, profoundly satisfying to see the four of you <laughs> sit together. <laughs> like when we break down into little groups and you kind of huddle in your little group, is that um, that good feeling between the four of you is uh, transmitted. And it's very comforting. Um, I think I was just reflecting on um, culturally even, the context of this, and um, reflecting on my own cultural background and how like, uh, the family unit and the generosity to be with each other is so part of, like, integral in in that kind of environment. And so that was really touching for me and like a very tenderness that came through of, um, yeah, just how natural that is, but that that isn't so natural for, you know, out of my family cultural experience. So, um, yeah, that just came up for me as something to reflect on and how these all came from kind of that cultural perspective, too. Any other comments? Uh, I have several friends who send out uh, gratitude lists every day, and I only, I'm lucky enough to only receive one of these, thank goodness. And uh, uh, it's really wonderful to kind of listen to him try to come up with something different each day. And if I was to do a gratitude list, I think there would not be ten items on it. There would just be maybe five, and they'd be the same every day. So, anyway, just more silliness. Um, all of these suttas bring up for me an issue, um, which may not be relevant here, but it's what does one then how does one then tend to the people who don't measure up in terms of being wise and skillful? Are they to be dismissed? I mean, obviously, they're to be included in all beings and stuff like that, but where does expectations and judgment and exclusiveness, and this may not be something that should be addressed at this point, but what about the rest of humanity that doesn't isn't among those one wants to listen to. 
Yeah, thank you, Kathleen. That's actually a, a great question. Maybe I'll share a story. This was um, really early in my retreat practice, and um, there was a person who, uh, during this retreat, it was a small retreat, and we were all really close, kind of sardined in, you know, for a week. Uh, and there was this person in the front row who um, kept on going, ah. Like that loud, <laughs> all during the meditation. <laughs> and so um, after the retreat, uh, you know, and after the silence is broken, there was um, somebody's going, "I can believe there's this person in the front row who's sitting, you know, just like maybe two feet away from the teachers as well. Like we were all really close." And um, and somebody else said. Yeah, that person was the best teacher for me. And I looked, and they said, yeah, I just saw my kind of uh, protest coming up and my aversion coming up and these ideas that this person should, shouldn't be doing this. And the, their retreat practice was about, okay, how can they enfold this person in to their experience and also, how could they watch their own reactions, even when conditions are really great and the reactions to things that aren't so great, quote-unquote, really highlight things. So, in some ways, it's that everybody in all situations can be our teachers. And in that way, they can be a support for our practice. Can I follow up on that? I, I totally understand that. And you know, um, there is still. Does it ever get to the point where one is not? I mean, it, the behavior of that person then is supposedly. I mean, isn't that person still not someone one would go to? for wisdom, skillful practice, uh, energy. I mean, that person is not part of the teachers. I mean, it's a teacher, but not in the sense of this. We don't go to them for, I mean... Yeah, so you mean in terms of, like, what we've been talking about, this ethics, generosity, wisdom, faith, those kinds of things. You mean in terms of that they can't, they're not uh, supporting those qualities in particular, right? That that we that we that the suttas sort of define the people who are going to be our. We're going to listen to in the sense of figuring out how this is done, rather. Than yeah, and just because a person makes loud noises during a silent meditation, doesn't mean they don't have wisdom. It doesn't mean that they don't can't uh, be perhaps a friend for us, right? It just means that they were unaware that their yawning in a really loud way was disturbing. But I think David has something he wants to say. You have two microphones, David. Two, you know that. Two mics. See, you can get me in stereo. There's a microphone for Kim. Okay. Um, oh, I was just. It's. I think that's a wonderful question. And I guess, I think one of the things that, that really strikes me about these teachings, and this is true maybe of, of the teachings in general, is how much they encourage us to sort of look inward. 
So as you spoke, as you said your question, I, I thought to myself how, um, how imperfect a, a spiritual friend I am, you know? Uh, and and what, it's, what it's like to really practice these things and take them into my practice. And we never know where other people's practice is at, you know? Uh, what we do know for sure is that all beings avoid discomfort and unhappiness and seek, seek contentment. And uh, so wherever people are, you know, I, I guess I try to challenge myself with sort of what, what, what does it mean to be a good spiritual friend to people? How do I support where they are? Um, and again, there, there's a less, it's less about me. Yeah, people are irritating or I can find them so, or, or you know, people are imperfect, including, including um, myself. And so um, for me, that idea of, uh, particularly when I notice myself in speech saying, yeah, I, you know, Diane is so great. She's so brilliant. But she, that's, that's, a, that's an act of speech um, that isn't necessary. Uh, there's, there's always shortcomings in people. So um, I think similarly, really focusing on the mind's activity and it, noticing that in the mind there can be envy or hostility or irritation, exasperation that arise. And just, you know, being there with that, you know, we all know how to practice with those things that come up. That's the uh, inevitable nature of being in a human body and mind. Stuff's irritating. (laughs) Stuff comes up that we can can become irritated about, I guess would be better to say, more accurate to say. Anyway, so that's that's part of of it, bringing this practice home. Well, I'll just in the spirit of adding on. Um, if you have a choice about who you spend time with, you can choose. <laughs> it's actually totally fine. Um, of course, you know, all these teachings um, help us with the people that we don't necessarily have a choice about being around, right? And we all have people like that in our lives too. But there's absolutely nothing um, wrong with supporting your practice by choosing, when you have a choice, who you hang out with. And it's a little bit like this teaching that's called seclusion or guarding the sense doors, which is a wonderful teaching about what we take in. You know, what do we look at? What do we listen to? What do we eat? You know, the things that we take in. Of course, we do all these things every day. Um, And... But, we, but when we have a choice, we can choose wisely. We, can, we don't have to read all of the news before breakfast. You know, it's like that might not be the wisest thing to take in. <laughs> the, or when you're eating, you don't have to choose foods that are entirely unhealthy for you, entirely against what your doctor said. And so there's a, um, yeah, there's a way in which we can do skillful avoidance. And that's actually recommended. Now, the Buddha didn't have to avoid anything himself, but those of us on the path might be making choices along the way that are skillful. That's part of skillfulness. So I'll just add that dimension in, along with, yes, there are those irritating folks, and then those are the ones that are our teachers in that moment. Yeah. So during the meditation, what was coming to me is how, I'm going to cry, how lovely it is when someone can see in you some beauty and some kind of, um, 
I know we don't talk about the divine here, but some kind of spark of divinity, of um, whether that's your, your inherent goodness. And you may not be right there in the moment, and maybe you're being unskillful or something, but when someone can look in your eyes and see that in you and reflect it back to you, that is really the essence of friendship. Since you just said that, Hillary, um, I had been coming to her monthly um, women's meetings, and I had hadn't been able to come several times. And um, for me, and for everyone in that group, you are the most spiritual, and connect with all of us. We just all feel um, such a deep connection, and so being so seen by you. And you're just such a special being that really being seen by you and loved by you, you just re- really radiate that. It's all, and I really miss being there, and I'll try. I wanted to say that um, I did it. I got a little restless, and I did it with walking meditation, and I noticed I really liked it. Saying the phrases, um, walking and taking a pause, like doing metta, and kind of very slowly. And I, f- I found that I, I really like to do that more at home. And then also, I looked something up, just to be sure, at the end. Are you familiar with Curtin Kriya? Curtin? Well, this is just an anecdote from a, um, a brain point of view. Um, Dharma Singh Khalsa, who is a world expert on Alzheimer's, I forgot his original name, went to Harvard. He did some really interesting research, and it's been confirmed now that a combination of like taking a line and touching your fingers like this and chanting certain notes at the um, same time, da 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 da, um, that putting that all together and doing it for about 10 minutes affected a part of the brain and telomeres that are really, really good for the brain. I just wanted to share that, how you could take this in your own practice and add those dimensions. And in terms of that, do you think, um, whether it's that or adding something else in your practice at home that isn't strictly what we're doing here, it would be considered okay in the practice or not okay to keep it separate? I just, uh, in response to that, but also because we're getting very close to, to the end of our time today, um, I want to make sure we have time for homework, but I also want to ask, is there, is there any, other, any other question about spiritual friendship or anything else that we've talked about substantively today that that comes up for people. We just want to make sure that not everybody's had a chance to say something and there may be a couple other comments. Um, I'm not sure today that we have time to address sort of, you know, other practices at home. I think possibly we should provide some homework and 
does that make sense? And and close, and you know, we're 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 here neatening up afterwards, and and maybe we can be available for a few minutes. Um, the the main thing we wanted to two things: a study thing and a practice thing that we wanted to sort of encourage people to do. There's no there's no homework. You know, we're we're not. Um, we're not feeling like, oh, did people do the homework? Fortunately, we don't. This is just not part of our, the teaching role here, which is really nice. Um, we've all, I think, assigned homework and had people not do it. But, yeah, yeah, homework is just one of those terms. We, could, we can just let that go. But let's say, um, the, the, I think it's, I, I can think of it in terms of two offerings then. One is that the rest of the suttas are there, as Arthur pointed our attention to, and each of these uh, really have real riches in them. I, I smile because the one that talks about how layholders should manage their finances is really quite instructive and, and surprising because we don't think of that as being something that Buddha really you know, was concerned about or addressed. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see the way, the way that's held in, the, in this sutta and others. And the second offering is to continue some of this metta practice. Um, we like the idea that in the, in, in the sort of supportive friendship, there's another translation, you know, that can be part, and these suttas suggest as an important part of this path of practice. Um, there, the, there is that, um, the development, the cultivation uh, of goodwill uh, that really helps um, helps, I think, open ourselves in ways that have been pointed to that sometimes we hold back, we, we feel irritation, and we don't, we don't, as a result, give all that we can to another person in, in providing support for their practice. So as Ying was sort of suggesting and has provided examples here, there are a lot of different aspects of metta practice here. People have probably done various of them. But just thinking of that as part of what it means to be engaged in spiritual friendship or support of other people's practice, to really be cultivating that part that is about goodwill uh, and that is about opening the heart to people, warts and all. So with that, um, we wish you another nice week of of practice and study uh, and we look forward to seeing everybody and new people um, next week so take care till then